Hey everyone, welcome back to the Saxa podcast, the first five years. I'm your host, co-host, before Erica makes faces, Agatha, All right. coming live from still inside of my apartment because we're still not on campus, but we'll be there soon, y'all. We'll be there soon. Hey everyone, your other favorite co-host, Erica, coming at you from my bedroom, soon to be on campus. I should be returning next week to my office at the University of Florida. That means I have to get tested this week, friend. That's right. Erica's going under the swab, y'all. <laughs> I am nervous. I, I think what a privilege for me to be able to be tested and have access to that. They're going to tickle my brain and I feel <laughs> I feel like I don't know what to do with this information. So. I'm not, words fail me. <laughs> Tony, you're not introduced yet. You can't. <laughs> Tony, not yet. Not yet, Tony. Not yet. Not yet. Well, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Moving us a little forward. Uh, how are you doing, Erica? How are you doing, girl? Are you holding up? Besides that, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I think I'm a little apprehensive to go to campus. I think it's going to be interesting. I've been at this desk for three months, but, you know, I made a really good turkey burger and so that's keeping me going how are you friend you know we're holding up uh we are finding the little joys where we can um we are really relishing in the uh shorts and athletic uh adle- elastic waist for clothing lifestyle. Little athleisure. <clears throat> the athleisure really leaning into it um which is definitely going to be an issue when i have to transition onto uh, real pants or hard pants um whatever <laughs> terminology folks like to use out there uh but yeah you know we're holding up uh can't say any brain tickling is in my future but y'all will be the first to know if i have to undergo consider this yourself, consider yourself lucky is all i'm saying so for this week erica will have to use the word lollygag as part of our conversation on the pod are you excited erica yeah lollygag okay writing that down there you go i, I where do you get these words from do you just use a random word generator are these words that have come up in your life recently a magician never reveals the secrets but okay. it's totally google but it's totally google okay <laughs> well thanks i'm excited well welcome everyone welcome back to your favorite pod the first five years we're here as always to give you a little insight into the first five years as a new professional so our friends as undergrads our new professionals our grad students who are navigating a world right now where it's just it's been an adventure we are here for all of it and everything in between and of course we always help to bring you some timely information based off of the calendar year or whatever pandemic is approaching us next and providing a public voice for graduate students and new professionals out in student affairs and we do have you already kind of heard <laughs> from our guest which actually the first time we had this person on the pod we also had to tell him it wasn't this time <laughs> so we're excited I can see if you want to cue him in. Oh, so our guest today, our welcoming back to the pod, is Tony Cawthon. Tony is an alumni distinguished professor of student affairs and higher education at Clemson University in the Department of Educational, Organizational, and Leadership Development. He previously served as department head and program coordinator of the Student Affairs Graduate Preparation Program, and prior to becoming a faculty, he worked as a university housing professional at Clemson University, Mississippi State University, and the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Please welcome back Dr. Tony Cawthon. That was so much fun. I just want to talk to you all the time. Uh, we can arrange that. I was really worried that Tony wasn't going to say anything. I was like, Tony, now's the time. Now's the time. Because <laughs> he said quiet. I was like, no. No, no. <laughs> You're good. Well, we welcome love back, having Tony. you, Tony. Yes. It's like a full circle moment. You were on our first episode with our not as high quality audio, and now you're back, and I have a headset. Yeah. And it's so, like a new world. It's like a whole new technological adventure. You know. It's nice to see your face. It's nice to see faces. I period. To- <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> Well, welcome. We're so excited to have you back on the pod. Um, And Erica's going to tell us a little bit about what we're talking about today, y'all. We are talking about something that Agassi and I have, I think, a little struggled with. So we're super excited, Tony, for you to be here. So our arc right now, as our listeners know, is 
building genuine networks. But we want to talk more about building a genuine network from your cohort in graduate school, which of course assumes, I know that not all of you listening out there were in a traditional cohort, but we think that, that this is really important, whether it be a master's cohort, PhD, EDD, or um, heck, if you were in like NPI, the New Professionals Institute, that's kind of a cohort, and how to maintain those friendships and relationships to carry you through your career. So it's something that I think Agatha and I, again, we got some questions, so part of this is going to be us asking you and taking some frantic notes and listening to all of your fantastic expertise. Look forward to it. Ooh, but you know, the first thing I got to ask you, as I did before, what is the best thing you ate this week, Tony? Oh my gosh, this is just Monday. That's hard. Uh, you last week. That's okay. Last week. Uh, my partner actually made a lemon pound cake from scratch. And it was absolutely phenomenal with lemon icing poured down in it. Oh my mm. God, I could, I could eat the entire cake. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I could. Is there any left? Yes, there's about a half of a cake left. We've, we've, tried, to, we've tried to monitor ourselves. To pace it out, I feel You're that. a bigger man than I, Tony. You're a better man than I. Well, <laughs> we're, we're trying. I didn't say it was easy, but we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good. Oh, it's so good. Agassi, what about you? What was the best thing I ate this week? To be honest, you go first. I, I, I need to think on that because honestly, I, I'm still really stuck on the chicken salad conversation with Pat. Oh, no, last no, no, no. So I'm no, trying no, to move no. away from that. So you go first. You know, I actually had some pretty good stuff this week, I'll be honest. But I think the best thing that I ate was so lame. Um, I went to a restaurant for the first time. Um, which was a big step for me because um, obviously cases are rising in Florida. And I didn't actually know, but I was at the pool with a couple of friends, um, socially distant and feeling very safe with them. And they decided to go get dinner. And we were supposed to sit on the patio. It was going to be an hour wait. We were far from people. I feel fine. Sorry, that's what goes through my head. That's the Erica loop. But I got this really good salad at Bahama Breeze, <laughs> which I know right when you think about Bahama Breeze, you don't think salad, but it was so good. It had all this fruit and chicken, and it, it just like fueled my soul. It was so good. Was the mojito on the side also good? Absolutely. But that I think is probably the best thing I ate all week. It was delightful. But you know what it would have been better is if I had a slice of that lemon cake. So, so I mean, I'll be completely honest. When I think of Bahama Breeze, I immediately think of salad. So I'm partially <laughs> offended that you would think that I wouldn't think of the Bahama Breeze salads. I, I am so sorry. So I can see. What's the, oh, the best thing you ate? The best thing I ate this week, uh, my partner actually surprised me with pho from our favorite little <gasps> Vietnamese restaurant. He said he was getting Panera. He walked in with soup. Needless to say, I, was, I almost cried uh, because I don't know if I've made an appearance on this, on this channel. Uh, my deep love and appreciation for Asian food and specifically pho. Uh, it, is, it is one of your love languages. It is one of my love languages. And the fact that he spoke that in that moment, I mean, keeper for sure. That is <laughs> that solidified it in that moment. Good job, Carter. Uh, but that is the best thing I ate this week, especially when I'm like, oh, I just got a salad from Panera because I didn't really care. And then he walks into soup. I'm like, what is this? Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was the best thing. <laughs> I just imagine you. I'm so sorry. This is such a tangent, but I just when you said what's this, I just imagine you as Jack Skellington from one of your favorite movies, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow, fun fact. What's this? There's fun in the air. You don't want your fun in the air because then it's fun. Anyway. So thank you both for sharing. Um, Solid reference. Solid reference. I'll give credit where credit is due. Thank you so much. But it's time, pew, 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 for some rapid fire. So that was really good. So Agassi. Sweet baby Agassi. We all know this. You are a major fan of Starbucks and of, of really all coffees. If you could design a Starbucks drink that is based on you, I want to know the name, but I also want to know the special ingredients. So you don't need to tell me all of it, but I got to know what's that thing that makes it sparkle like you do. Wow. Yeah, wow. I thought of my question. You really thought of that one. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So I don't think that, okay, let me, let, me, let me talk this out. If I had a drink, it would not be overly sweet. I think there'd still be a little bitterness or a little acidity to it. 
uh, not necessarily because I'm bitter, <laughs> but because <clears throat> I don't think I'm an overtly sweet person. So I don't think it'd be anything like that unicorn or zombie frappuccino that they had going. Uh, that was super toxic. Didn't, that would not be me. I'm on the opposite. Um, I think that if I had some kind of drink, it would be espresso based. I almost want to think it's like the Starbucks ice double shot where it's a shaken espresso drink. Also has maybe some shaved dark chocolate on top and some toffee nut syrup. Um, we love some toffee nut uh, because it's sweet, but it's still not, it's not overtly sweet. It kind of still has a little bit of a tang. Um, so yes, yeah, so it'd be a shaken espresso with toffee nut with some shaved like dark cocoa, dark chocolate on top. Because again, I think that bitterness adds a balance. Um, and I think I would call it, <laughs> oh, what would I call it? I think I'd call it, a Brando Breeze, because Brando is my middle name. That so like a Brando good. Breeze, um, because I think, once again, it still has the kick from the espresso, but I think you get the wafts of the chocolate, so you kind of get to sit back and be like, wow, this is so incredible and great. And that perfectly describes me. That's where I'm going to end that description. That was really gorgeous, and I would drink that. <laughs> Ooh, good job. I think you got some inspiration from Bahama Breeze, so I would like some of the royalties from that, but... <laughs> Did you say royalties? Girl, you work for Bahama Breeze? Did I miss something? <laughs> they just got sponsored by us. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, my question to Tony is... I'm uh, scared. Well, there's a lot of conversations obviously happening right now about monuments and about uh, how those monuments are displayed in areas. And I've heard a lot of conversations about Tennessee monuments in the state capitol and who should be uh, a statue or a bust in the Tennessee state capitol and hint hint is Dolly Parton. So I want you to give me your 30 second pitch as to why Dolly Parton's statue should be in the Tennessee state capitol. Well, you know, I agree it's Dolly and I actually signed a petition for that last week, <laughs> um, to be quite honest, to replace Nathan, Nathan Bedford Forrest with her. My pitch would be uh, she's sort of the, ex the essential Tennessean. She's not forgotten her roots. She remembers the people that she grew up with. She remembers her community. Every high school graduate gets $100 when they graduate from high school every year. Uh, she started the Imagination Library, which has given over 2.5 million books to children. If you watched her bedtime with Dolly for the last Thursdays at seven o'clock, she read us all a bedtime story. I watched all seven. I wasn't in my pajamas, but I watched all seven. There's nobody better to speak to Tennessee and the values and the love of that state than her. And I would marry her tomorrow. Oh, mm. Dolly, you hear that? We want you on the pod. What if we got Dolly? I would cry. First off, I, would, I mean, I don't even want to, if I would cry, I don't even want to imagine what Tony would do. I, I'm not sure I can put into words what I would do. <laughs> uh, Dolly, <laughs> Dolly is queen. Have you, seen, have you seen the new website with Dolly and is it Nina West who won the drag queen? <gasps> and they're, they're sell, selling merchandise, like Be Kind merchandise. You can order. I have not seen our it. Pin. It has a picture of both of them on the shirt and on the pin. I've heard it. I have not seen it, but I did scream. <laughs> I was a pin this morning. <laughs> a lapel pin. That was a great pitch. If anybody, if any politician or legislature or anyone in real, any kind of power at, in Tennessee is listening, you heard it here. Dolly Parton in the state capitol. Make it happen, y'all. I'm there. Ethan, thank you. <laughs> All right. So I think my question is to Erica. Uh, Erica, you mentioned that you've been quarantined at home for three months. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's been your guilty pleasure that nobody would know about you that you need to tell us that you've been doing to survive this pandemic? Oh my goodness. Something that people, okay, people need to know. It could be a TV show, it could be yeah. food. What's that guilty pleasure? So I make a lot of banana bread. That's not really guilty. I'm using this as a transition so I can think about, about Agassi posted something in the chat that I might bring up. Um, so something that I'm, yeah, so lots of banana bread, but something I've been embarrassed about my whole life is that I, not my whole life maybe, but I have not 
seen all of the Marvel movies and I've not read all the Harry Potter books. So I have, and I have not seen all of the very quintessential sports movies. So I have been slowly working my way through those. So, you know, I had never seen We Are the Titans. Um, I had never seen uh, Glory Road. I'd never seen Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm, and I'm reading the Harry Potter books. So I, I think those are kind of embarrassing. My close friends know those things about me, but not everyone. Oh, remember the Titans. We are the Titans is what they say. Thank you, Miles, in the background. <laughs> Gonna get some copyright issues. But I just was never raised on those. So it's kind of been this like underground work that I've been doing to be part of the community that is who we are as humans. I will say, if you ever want to laugh, um, one of my, actually a few of my really good friends in Gainesville were really disappointed that I had never seen the Harry Potter films. And they made me watch them because, oh, so yeah, I had never seen any of them. I had seen like one and four. And I, there are videos on Twitter of me sobbing watching Harry Potter 6 and Harry Potter 7. Oh, I need um, to Google that. They are so <laughs> funny because, and, and they were laughing. I mean, they're like, we're not laughing at you, but these are the reactions that we had. 10, 15 years ago that I am just now having. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of my guilty quarantine pleasure, I guess, is, is working through stuff that, while I have the time. All right, fun. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, so I'll turn it back to you, Tony. So I see some plants behind you. <laughs> I love that so much. If you were a plant, I want to know what kind of plant you would be, but I also would like to know the amount of sunlight that you think would be ideal for your development. Well, first of all, I hate nature. Um, oh. So this is going to be an interesting question because I don't do nature. My, dad, my, idea, my idea of nature is driving in the mountains in the car and looking, not getting out. Um, so I think if I had to be a plant, I probably would be a daffodil, a buttercup, because I think I like the yellow. They're, they're, they're sort of fresh and springy. Um, they do require a lot of sunshine. I love, I love sunshine in my life. I love people who bring sunshine. So I'd, I'd, I'd have to be a plant that's in the sun, not in the shade. It ought to scare you that I know that there's a difference, but my partner does try to teach me of the shaded plants versus the sunny plants. So I'd go with the daffodil. They come in bunches. I'm an extrovert, so I need to be around other plants. Don't be, don't be having me be an iris over there by myself. Um, so put me with a bunch of other people and it'd be a daffodil. That was great. That was such a good response. Yeah, you wow. have had such eloquent responses. And he, meanwhile, I said, my favorite movie, We Are the Titans. <laughs> oh, <so>. Good job. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. All right, so my question is to Agassiz. Uh, Agassiz, if you were shipwrecked on an island, a desert island, and all of your uh, comforts were taken care of, so you had your food and your water, um, what are two items that you would have to have with you and why? And they cannot be people or your pet. What are two items and why would you have to have those? Am I alone on this island? Yes, you are. Okay. So if I were alone on an island, first of all, I would, hmm, that is a great question. Which one needs to survive? I think that in order to survive, I would need a notebook. Uh, because if I don't have anyone there with me, I'm an external processor, so I need to say something to something. So I'm going to say it to a notebook. So I would need a notebook to write in for sure uh, with unlimited pages because, you know, fantasy. Um, I think another item specifically, wow, that's a really good question. I would bring a Kindle because once again, I need to pass some time. Uh, you know, Kindle store a lot of books. Obviously, I am a I am a pro, pro as long as you're reading something ist, uh, but I do prefer having a tangible book in my hand, but the Kindle would have, uh, allow me to have all the books in my hand. Um, so those are the, probably the two things that I would bring with me. I can stand the silence. Um, I can handle the weather, potentially, maybe. I don't know what the weather is like on this deserted island, potentially. Uh, but yes, I need those two things. I was getting a little worried there when you said notebook. I thought you were going to go all Nicholas Sparks on me. <laughs> and I was, I was like, that's a, little, that's a little sappy and one book and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could quit you. Wait, that's the wrong movie. No, that, that is that one. Oh, okay, that is that movie. That is. 
And for a second, I was like, wait, no, that's broke back mountain. I was like, Agus, you're really showing your colors. Final question is to Erica. So Erica, since you're on a, on a real big name and describe question kick, here's one for you. Erica is an avid yoga-ist, yoga-er, yoga person. Um, if you had to name and describe a pose that is not currently invented, that you would that would be specific to you, what would your pose be? Like describe it and what would you call it? Okay. So yes, I am a yogi. Um, so my answer, I want to say, um, as I think of it, I just want to pay full respect to the practice of yoga um, that has largely been co-opted by white folks in the United States. Um, as I say this, that it is something that is really, really important to my life. But I think anything I say, I want to pay homage and not um, co-opt and add to that negative experience. Anyway, so my favorite pose is Shavasana. And that is corpse pose. And it is like the end of your practice. You are laying on the mat. You are, it's like a pose of, of like right before rebirth, like resetting. And one time I said that I wanted to get that tattooed on me because I thought that like it was my favorite pose. And so someone said, so you just want a chalk outline of a dead body on you. <laughs> so I think that I would probably get like, I would probably make my own Shavasana pose and call it like, like the chalk pose or something. It would be like, I, the other thing is that I have a really bad lower back, lower back. And so laying flat on my back is really painful at times. And so sometimes I'll like pull my knees in closer. So I think it would be that. Um, it's like a, my own personal reset, but also it was a really funny joke when someone's like, so you just want to, just want to tattoo a, a corpse on you. Got it. Um, but yes, I think that might be it. That was a hard one. There's, there's so many good yoga poses and I'm like, oh gosh, like people have been doing these for thousands of years and I'm <laughs> coming up with one in 10 seconds. So the chalk outline, you could draw a straight line and just say it's a two dimensional, two dimensional drawing. Like that episode of SpongeBob? Is that no? It's um. Never mind. Inside out, they end up as just sticks. Those are very different. <laughs> We're getting our 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 references all crossed. <laughs> Not today. Bad day. Well, thank you all so much for taking part of Rapid Fires, and we're going to go ahead and jump right into our questions, and we're going to get into our little discussion about genuine connections and cohorts. Erica, you want to start off? I do. So. Like I said, this is a tough one, I think, for Agassi and I. And, and as I reflected a lot on it, I think it's tough for a couple of reasons, but mostly because cohorts are such like a good use of, of connections that we've made to <clears throat> continue to move forward and grow. And Agassi and I are both in our first jobs. So I think, you know, I'm just going to provide that context for both of us that like we haven't had to use our cohorts in those ways. But when we think about starting in a cohort, right, if you're doing a traditional program, it is stressful. Like you're starting a program, you might be in a new institution, you might be in a new state, which is the case for Agassi and I. You're probably starting some sort of graduate position or new job. So that's like, that's a lot. So how do you balance that and also trying to fit in making connections with new people, right? Whether those be friendships or trying to actually just connect and, and start building your network. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think when I think of cohorts, I think of a lot of different things that come to mind and uh, several things that come to mind. One, I think if you're starting a cohort, if you're brand new starting to grad school, I think um, thinking about ahead of time what purpose that cohort is going to serve for you is important. And I don't know that folks do that because cohorts serve different things for different people. For some people, it's a source of academic learning. For others, it's emotional support. For others, it's um, a socialization to the profession. For others, it's um, an opportunity to broaden our perspective because we're interacting with people who have different values and beliefs and cultural experiences than we do. So I think sort of figuring out first, what is the cohort, what does it mean for you and what is it gonna do for you, uh, I think is important. The other thing I think students don't do well is they don't take advantage of the opportunities placed before them as a cohort to get to know other people in their community. So on every campus, there's student affairs orientation, there's the department orientation, there's your grad school orientation, 
Uh, there's all sorts of opportunities to come together, opening picnics. To me, that's where you start your, your cohort um, sort of socialization. You go to all those and you find a different person at every one that you build a relationship with. At least start talking. Don't just talk to the same people. Um, find different people to have a conversation uh, with. Um, the other thing I think about when I think about transition to grad school, I don't think people own the transition. They don't own that, that it's going to be rough. It's going to be, they, they all think, well, I was a freshman once and I went through undergraduate and did well. So it's going to be easy, but it's not. And that cohort, you'll either love it or you'll hate it. And I think if you can find strategies for what it, what it means for you to be a member of a cohort and what it, function it provides you, um, I think you will better enhance your experience as part of a cohort. I do think it's interesting how our answer might be different now than if we'd had this question pre-quarantine. Because now I think you're going to have to figure out how to be a cohort technologically. <laughs> you know, how are you going to use Zoom to be a cohort and build a community and get to know one another and build connections um, you know, I'm already thinking in my head, how do we get students to do that? You know, and, and I think you got to use it more for just than just academic, you know, their game, setting up game night, or there's a, there's a, you can do an escape room using Zoom now. Uh, all those pieces to me are going to help us sort of facilitate the cohort. Um, but I think if students own it, they can find a way to balance what it has to offer and what it doesn't have to offer. Well, I think you bring up such a good point about it not just being this like academic piece, right? Like what are the fun things right. you can do? Um, I will never forget my first day of graduate student orientation. I had, I had been in Bowling Green for a couple of months before everyone else, my assistantship started early. And there are people who live near me. Agus is already laughing at the story because he knows it. And we're walking up to orientation and I just met these people and I turn to them and I go, isn't it so weird that you're all gonna be at my wedding? Mind you, I was not dating anyone, not engaged. But to me, my expectation was that like, you all are gonna be my best friends. And so I think, you know, there's time for social and stuff, but you also have to have like, what are your expectations of these people? What are we expecting that they're gonna be in our lives? Um, which I think I went in thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, when I get married in a few years, haha, it's been five now. Like, I expect you're all going to be my best friends and that's, you know, not been the case. So, you know, respect a lot of them, but just something that I, I think about is, you know, what, what do you expect out of these people? Yeah. And I also think, um, I think cohorts initially for many grad students are about connection. They are about community. They are about helping me navigate the transition. So I've moved from a different state or I've come from a different type of institution or I came from a, different type of geographical area. So I think the connection is important. For me over time, what the cohort does is provide support, not necessarily connection. So I do think you're right. They all do come in with this idea that we're gonna be best friends forever. And we're all gonna love each other and we're all gonna get along. We all know that's not realistic. Um, but I think initially it does help you to meet all the members of the cohort to determine who are those going to be your go-to people, but the rest of those people can still provide support. They may not be your go-to people, but they can still support you in ways academically, emotionally, socially, even if they're not your best friend forever. And I think helping students understand that is important. Uh, there's a difference in connection and support. That's a hard lesson to learn though and a hard thing to learn. I don't know that I think cohorts have been helped with things like GroupMe and Facebook pages. Oh, GroupMe, I have such a strong opinion about GroupMe um, in terms of how it helps with the cohort. I know there are positives to it, but I think we gotta find other ways to do it other than that. I think part of the difficulty, or I think, I think part of the challenge, yeah, with like, Balancing everything, especially when you just arrive at an institution and, you know, as Erica mentioned, you, you're in a new grad program, you're potentially in a new state, you're at a new institution, you know, all those things could be true all at once. I think part of it is that 
at least from what I've seen is that sometimes graduate students and even from my own experience in graduate school is that students want to jump in all at once. Mm -hmm. Like they want to meet everyone. They want to hang out with everyone. Everything is like, Oh, let's invite 30 plus people to this one event and everyone's going to be there. And I think just part of that is don't forget, you know, what it is that you need to be okay. And if you're the kind of person that enjoys having, you know, a couple of close friends and those are your people and those are the people you hang out with, you know, that is your style. You know, there are people there who say, no, I want to hang out with all 30 people all at once. And that does not have to be your style. And you will find people in the cohort who enjoy both those things or can, you know, can, you know, dip into both territories, you know, because I, as I mentioned before, I'm a capital E extrovert, but I also like to stay at home and I like to enjoy more intimate gatherings. And my friend group is smaller because I, I like having an intimate or smaller group of people to do things with because, you know, splitting a bill eight ways at a restaurant is not cute. So I just, I, you know, the, the birthday parties with the 20 people at a table, that is like my absolute nightmare. Please don't do that for me. You know, I like the small intimate gatherings, but again, I think part of how do you do it is that you just have to be patient with yourself because that's part of the transition. It's, it's rebuilding connections with people. Um, you have to realize, especially if in your new place, like you are slowly learning about people and people are slowly learning about you and you won't do that in the course of a night. Um, and your classes are going to help because obviously part of the discussions you'll have in your grad in your grad program um, will help you, I think, learn about people and where, where their experience is from and why they think certain things. And in those conversations, you'll, you might realize, you know, I kind of don't think I vibe with this person. I think we think very differently. I think we have a very different experience and that's okay. You know, I think the point of the matter is to not be disrespectful and to not be hateful, but I think it's perfectly fine to be like, yo, vibe check. That's not my vibe. <laughs> and kind of like figure out an, a different place to kind of be. Because again, if you're in a cohort style program, there are other students there. Whether it's 15 to 30 people, there are other people there you can interact with. Um, but you know, the best thing about how to balance all those things is just taking a step at a time. And just remember that ultimately you need to ask yourself, what do I need? What do I want? And if you are with people and you're like, I'm not getting what I want, I'm not getting what I need, like go somewhere else. Even if that's outside your program, like just being realistic about this does not serve me and then you release. Well, the other thing I think, you know, it's funny when I talk to students that are graduating from our cohort program, almost inevitably all of them say to me, they're now go-to people in the cohort were not their people that they originally connected with. Mm. Because in the beginning, as you just said, they want to be friends with everybody. And they recognize as, as um, their experience goes on over the year or two years, they have different work styles, they have different personality types. So it's interesting to watch that evolution. So I think it's great in the beginning to get to know everyone, but it don't, don't assume they will all be your best friend. But getting to know them is perfectly okay with me. The other thing I would say about balance is, I think people don't ask for help when they need it. You know, uh, you are balancing a new job, a new city, a new graduate experience. Um, cohorts, I think cohorts have a, they develop their own uh, personality. And some cohorts are very independent and don't ask for any help. Others are very, um, I don't want to use the word needy, but they, they demand a lot of attention. Um, I, I think figuring out how the cohort personality comes to be and your personality, how those fit together is important to your mental health and your own sense of balance. And you better figure that out pretty quickly. That's so true because, so um, as we've shared, Agassi was in the cohort below me at Bowling Green and my cohort was very like well-connected. We did a lot of stuff together. We, you know, may not have all been super close. Um, they're not all invited to my wedding again pending a ring and any, you know, form of, anyway, uh, we're still good friends and there, you know, we did things together and we were very supportive of each other in the sense that if I found a job that I was applying for that someone else would have been good for, I sent it to them and they did the same. But Agassi, I remember your cohort um, not being as well connected in those ways that some people didn't really want to talk about their job search. And of course, that's kind of different for all people, but I don't really know how that came to be but you know I also think that brings up a good point about your your individual cohort there's probably one above you and below you too so how are you also making those connections 
Um, so one of, you know, one of the people that I still am really connected to is now married to someone who was in my cohort, but was a cohort above. And it's still someone that I look to and, and I'm so glad I'm so connected to, but wasn't physically in my cohort. Yeah. And hopefully programs have created programs like buddy programs or so that you don't just meet the people in your cohort, but you do meet the cohort that's ahead of you that's about to graduate. So you can learn from their experiences. You can build on their network. Uh, so hopefully they do that. I'll tell you a really funny story about cohorts and their difference in personalities. Probably seven years, about six, seven years ago, I had a cohort that was extremely competitive. And oh my gosh, they would share nothing about the job search. I mean, nothing with one another. And it was really, uh, it, was just, it was disheartening in some ways to watch. I'll never forget being in class, a student came up to me and said, I want to talk to you about this job at this school. And they did it very quietly. They had a little folder. They pulled it up, you know, the name of the job. I said, okay, we'll talk at, at the break. And we did, and we had a great conversation. Another student came up and said, I really want to talk about this job, but I don't want anybody to know it. Let's talk after class. It was the exact same job, the person at the break talked to me about. And ironically, both, they both ended up getting hired at the same school. But the group was so competitive, they didn't share that information. They didn't draw off of the energy of one another and the network of one another. Um, so I, I do think, um, I don't, I'm like you, there's a dissertation there somewhere on how cohorts develop their own personalities. Um, and maybe that's a dissertation one of you all might want to do because it, it seems to happen, but I don't know how it happens, which is really interesting to me is watching that cohort develop its own uniqueness and they're all very different. Some are very social, some are very academic, some are very, uh, competitive. It's just interesting to watch. I think, Tony, part of what you're speaking about, and maybe maybe this isn't exactly the conversation, but it's about like how do how does a cohort develop a culture in and of yeah. itself? I think that personality is a cultural thing, um, and I think a lot of part of that is you know what do other people say about those cohorts um, and those things that are shared? Because again, it's 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 not about that it has one personality it's about that one type of personality seems to like rise to the top and that's what the folks see because i remember people would say your cohort is very competitive i'm like wait how and sometimes it was it was more of people feeding into the idea and the thought of like oh your cohort is competitive i'm like wait where do you see that and like it was like it was almost like a, a feedback loop of like where people say oh you're this it was like people would sometimes label the cohorts because it's right. Well, the cohort above you is this, you're this, and the one below you is that. I'm like, who comes up with these labels? <laughs> so like, I'm just going to go on record for, for the folks listening out there. When it comes to those cohort dynamics that, well, your cohort is this, push back against that. Yep. Like real, realistically. And we understand that obviously when you get a group of people, it's, it's sometimes really easy to be like, oh, okay, this cohort is like this altogether. But understand that there are different people and different personalities in that. Um, and sometimes it is that loop. Um, because I remember even faculty would say, oh, your cohort is competitive. I'm like, okay, where's everybody getting this from? And then it would, having conversations internally with my own cohort mates, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's where they see this. I'm like, okay, but how much of is it that we are that and how much of is it that they're telling us we're that? Again, it's that like labeling concept, um, which actually brings us to our next question. Um, but what are some of the ways that you've seen cohorts or individuals uh, successfully remain connected even years after graduation? Oh, wow. I, there are a lot of ways I see them do that. A lot of them have annual tailgates where they come back to a football game. Uh, so they maintain contact via uh, some sort of social media. Uh, some have started book clubs where they actually read a book. Particularly, we're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, uh, many of them are starting a, a book club uh, type event. Uh, there have been a lot of virtual uh, reunions. Like I have at least four cohorts that meet weekly now via Zoom just to check in. That's been the benefit of being quarantined and having technology because that didn't happen so much before. But all of a sudden now we're seeing this, this renewed interest in, and people come and go as they want to in the virtual sort of reunion. Um, we have groups that have started writing, writing projects together. Now, not the whole cohort, not all 30 people, but you know, uh, subsets of the cohort have started writing groups uh, in terms of that. Um, I think by the very nature, they do a really good job building those relationships. You know, when I first read this question, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind to me was how they made connections is, since I've been a faculty member, we've had 18 
sets of people get married <laughs> from either the same cohort or the cohort above or behind them. All 18 are still married. The law, just, of, the law of averages should not be that way. Tony, I feel like you're telling me that I missed my opportunity to find love in my cohort. <laughs> Do you want to do you want to go on record and tell everybody here that you were accepted to Clemson's student affairs program and you could have gotten you could have gotten your MED and your MAN at the same time? <laughs> I gosh, did I make them? No, Isaac Zumba talents up, but yeah, I might have might have missed my chance there. Ooh, eighteen though, that's yeah, wild. And it's been nineteen. It's interesting. Oh, I know one of them, or two of them, rather. Yeah, it's interesting to me, and, and I don't know if that's because they are immersed together. So that was off the top of my head. That wasn't very um, scientific. It's just an observation I've seen. But um, I think, you know, because they have that immersive experience, they do see that cohort as, um, as a lifelong opportunity to build a network of personal and professional colleagues. So they continue it on their own. You know, they vacation together. Uh, they become uh, godparents of people's children. Um, and, and it's been interesting to watch. It's very interesting to watch them. Uh, with, they present together. They share expenses at conferences together in terms of rooming together and those kind of things. Um, so it, it's both the personal connection they maintain, but also the, the professional connection that they maintain through those things like writing and presenting and book clubs and all that stuff. You know, I think you touched on something uh, really important. And I think you're, you're, you're also speaking to like the collegiality of like this field, like being a good colleague. Um, because 100%, like I, you know, I will go on the record saying that <laughs> I don't talk with folks in my cohort every day. I think a lot of the interactions I've had with the folks in my cohort um, have either been very individual through text or in like a more public sphere uh, in social media where we're like interact online. I think that's part of it. It's just, you know, everybody you know, you're in this grad school experience and you're in this concentrated bubble where you're like all in classes together, all in the same group, you're all working. And then all of a sudden you graduate and then everybody's <laughs> off to their different parts of the world. And sometimes I, you know, when you think of it that way, it's absolutely overwhelming. How do you keep track of 30 people when they're all across the country, all doing different kinds of jobs, all doing different things. And part of that is just, you just remain somewhat connected in the sense that you like, you do casual check-ins. I'm very big on the idea that I don't I have to talk to you every day to know that you're my friend. You know, Eric and I, not that we do go months without talking to each other, to be honest, but if we did, I would not say, well, Erica hasn't talked to me in months. So clearly we're not friends anymore. Like, that's it. Like we're done. Game over. Some, someone else hosts this pod. Um, you know, we're done. Uh, which I just realized we have to talk to each other regularly because we're hosting this podcast. Yeah. You're locked in friend. Sorry. Yeah. But, do, but don't, but don't you think part of that's also um, the idea that you um, just hit on is that because you had a common and shared experience with those people, you will always have a bond. Yeah. You may not talk every day. You may not even see each other, but every five years, but when you do reconnect, yeah. somebody who had a shared experience with you and a shared understanding with you. And um, to me, that's powerful okay. that I at least feel the support. Even if I don't talk to you, I know if I needed you, I could call you um, to me that that's powerful. And that's because you had that shared experience in grad school together. Um, and to me, that's the, that's the power of a cohort, is it does give you the, the Bowling Green experience, the Clemson experience, the Florida State experience. Um, that's the power of a cohort for me. I, I think something that actually came up recently, so Agassiz and I, uh, and then um, a friend, Paul, who works um, out in Washington, and Kara, who also works at Clemson, we all did a webinar and you know we did it, it was great and then a friend from bowling green was like hey it was just on your webinar didn't even realize it was you you all did so great like so proud to be a falcon with you and it's they think these small interactions like that's what connects us is that i haven't talked talked to this person in probably quite a few months like we weren't super close in grad school but i knew that if i applied to a job at their institution they would be someone to reach out to and I think, you know, for me, what's been helpful is that I try to figure out, you know, where can I see you, right? I think there's three kinds of friends from grad programs. Not that I put people in boxes, but, you know, there are some friends, uh, my like closest friends from grad school, we have, you know, Zoom calls every couple weeks. I'm staying with them at a conference. Then there are some people that, 
you know, I'll grab coffee with or dinner with. And then there are some that I'll be so happy to see at the NASPA or ACPA social. And they're all in one of those camps. And just because I don't want to, you know, lollygag, ha ha ha, with you across NASPA, doesn't mean that I don't want to see you at the, at the session and know that if I was applying to a job at their school and like, you know, my specialty is first gen, I, I hope that they know that they can reach out to me. And I also think, you know, my tip is you have to talk about stuff that isn't higher ed. I agree that that, that experience, right? We, to be at Bowling Green State University, you know, at a certain time meant something and we were all there together, but to form relationships outside of that, to go to grab a drink and not talk at all about work because I think that helps build a relationship that doesn't feel so, I don't want to say performative, but that's so based on this one thing can help build those lasting. Yeah, thank you, transactional. It, it helps build that, that lasting right. relationship, I think is, is a good part too. The other thing I think that cohorts do well is they also, because you're a member of a cohort, if the grad program does a really good job keeping you back connected to the grad program, then the cohort seems to stay connected. So for example, uh, if I use a lot of my alums um, in class assignments, so I have students uh, uh, interview our alums to talk about supervision. Uh, if I, for example, every spring we collect all of our graduates that are graduating's resume, we send it to all 700 of our alums and say, if you have job openings, here are people. Um, if we can connect them that way, then they tend to stay more connected as a cohort because they're still giving back to the program, but they're, they're still having that sort of common experience from, a, from an academic experience. Um, you know, last year we created an Excel spreadsheet where we asked all of our alums to go in and write down every place they had worked or gotten a job or got a degree so that our current grads could go in and say, oh, Erica worked at, Babson University. I'm applying for a job there. Now, you may have worked there five years ago, but I can call you. That's kept our alums and the connection of the cohort um, stronger because they feel the connection back to the department. Yeah, I think, you know, Tony, you just touched on a really good thing. Like, how do you connect back to the grad program? You know, and, and, and all of this is just how do you connect with people? You know, it's like, it's the same, I think, challenge that Eric and I have definitely talked about. It's like, how do you even create a mentorship relationship like yeah. what do you talk about when you don't need help like you know like <laughs> what do you mean you just want to know about me like no like i i'm not interesting all these things um but i also think it's just specifically like just it's again it's the little ways that you remind each other like hey i'm here um i'm big huge let me say that into sending people memes and tweets like that is 100% one of my languages of like, hey, thought of you, this is a tweet that's specific to your life or specific to something we've talked about or specific mm -hmm. to, you know, and they're not all, sometimes they're like informative news articles and sometimes they're just nonsense. And a lot of times they're SpongeBob memes. But again, it's the little ways that you connect with each other. And you know, it's like, oh, ha ha, you remember that time? I literally just had a friend of mine from the cohort say, you'll never guess who's retiring. And I'm like, spill girl. And like, you know, again, it's like we're brought, we're brought back and we're talking about it. And then, like, we haven't talked in months and there she was. And we're like, hey, how's it going? And again, it's, we pick it up as if it, uh, we never left. Also, Tony, I know you were talking about this Excel sheet of a network. Um, I know some of us here on this call um, have created Google Maps right. um, for professional networking maps yep. where, you know, former people who have worked in the office get to put like where they've gone. It's color coded. It's beautiful. Um, I know if someone were on this call, he'd really speak on it, um, but it's something we use in our office and something that's uh, been a really great tool because, again, it's who can speak to these institutions because, again, it's not just how do you connect those, how do you build those connections internally with your cohort, but how do you build it with people who've gone to your program overall because there's a lot of power. I mean, I will see people who graduate from Bowling Green. I'm like, oh, my gosh, me too. Go Falcons. What do you do? And it, I, it's like it's a lifeline. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entryway into a part of a conversation and you don't have to be like, how do I open up this conversation? Well, and it's, it's so like Eric said, it's the foundation to build more on. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the bottom of the floor. Now we can build on top of that just because we can have it, like you said, it opens the door for the conversation. Then we can talk about other things uh, and other conversations from that. So, um, you know, I, I would like to see um, us do more of those things like the map and the, the Excel spreadsheets to connect with our alums 
because they help our current cohort students see what the real world is like. <laughs> you know, I'm a faculty member. I'm not out there doing crisis management and budget facilitation and all those things. I need to connect my cohort to give them a sense of reality with alums. Mm -hmm. Other thing I would tell you is almost a third of our applicants for our program every year that apply for us come from people that have been recommended by an alum. That's the power of a cohort. They had a great experience. They want other people to have that experience. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we may be a little over time. That was a great conversation, y'all. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who participated. Uh, us, shout out, round of applause. Woo, go us. Woo, woo, go us, high five all around. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us uh, for the first five years presented by SAXA. Thanks to Miles Surrett and Erica Lee for producing this episode. Uh, the other Erica, the better Erica, I will say. Uh, so you can get more information on us, um, SAXA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, on all the things. So facebook.com backslash SAXA fan page, Twitter at SAXA tweets, Instagram at SAXAgrams. Shameless plug, the other podcast of the SAXA podcast. I guess he's putting his finger up. Do you want to plug it? Oh, no, you go. So the other podcast is called Essay Today, and they had a fantastic guest speaker, me. If you want to hear <laughs> about first-gen student success, you know, just support our sister podcast or our, our sibling podcast. I just, it was, it was really good. I'm really proud of it. So go listen to, and we're going to plug them as well. Agassi, what are you, um, what are you on, on the socials? On the socials, you can find me mainly on Twitter, uh, at Agassi, that's A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. You can find me at Erica M underscore Aguiar, that's A-G-U-I-A-R. And special thanks to our first return guest, Tony. Woo! Returner. You're, welcome. You're most welcome. It's fun. Always fun. Y'all are a good group. Woo, woo, woo. You want to plug anything, Tony? Any socials or any publications? Or uh, I do have a new book chapter coming out in um, Georgiana Martin and Sonja Arden's book on social class uh, and working with social capital. So it'll be coming out hopefully uh, later in, in the fall. It's amazing. Love I'm that. definitely going to look into it. Hopefully I can get a discount because I know the writer, but we'll talk about that later. Can I make one other comment? Yes. I would also encourage grad students. There's a new directions for student um, services on careers and student affairs. That's really good. It sort of, it talks about what are the issues at each of the levels of your career as an entry level, mid manager, uh, chief student affairs, retirement, becoming a faculty member. Each chapter is written with those issues in mind. It's sort of, it's designed to be your career lifespan. But it's new directions for career service, careers, and student affairs, I believe. It's a great resource. Has that been Beautiful. published already? Or is it being, uh, it's impressive? No, it's, it's been published. It's, um, uh, it's, as a shameless plug, it's um, Kristen Walker, Dean Anise, and, and I are the editors. Uh, it's one of the new directions series for student services. But it's got some great authors in there who get at many of the points we talked about today. You heard it here, y'all. Look it up. Well, thanks again for joining us, everyone. We obviously took some notes, too, so we're excited to continue to learn and grow with you. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye.